What would you say is one of the most polarizing conversations in politics today? Climate change? Abortion? The wall? The wall has been a major talking point for President Trump, and one of his favorite go-to chants is, Build that wall! Build that wall! Trump most recently made headlines for diverting billions of dollars intended for military construction projects in order to finance his wall. But Americans haven't always cared so much about Mexicans crossing the border. Both sides used to cross just willy-nilly without much of a care. In today's episode, we're going to explore the beginnings of our history with the Mexican border. This is America the Bazaar. Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch. If you watched the first Democratic debate of this presidential race season, you probably remember a lot of the candidates talking about policy with the border. But it's been a political talking point way before Trump, and we're going to dive into that today. There are a lot of Mexican names in this episode, so I just want to apologize beforehand for any mispronunciations and poor judgments of accents going forward. (laughs) Alright, Mexico declared independence from Spain in 1821 and controlled territories from Central America all the way to what is now California, Texas, and the American Southwest. Mexico encouraged white Americans to move from America to Mexico, where present-day Texas currently is. They offered even more religious freedom than America did, and this got a lot of Protestants to come to Mexico. Soon, white American immigrants outnumbered natural-born Mexican citizens. And then, white Americans were like, why isn't this America? We're all here. (laughs) Let's just make this America. So they declared independence from Mexico and made it the Republic of Texas. The Texans famously fought the Mexican government for their independence in the Alamo. They lost horribly to Santa Ana's military. Despite this loss, the Alamo became a symbol of heroism and a battle cry for Texans that were still fighting for their independence. On April 21st, 1836, Sam Houston and 800 other Texans defeated Santa Ana's force while shouting, Remember the Alamo! So the Republic of Texas was now an independent country, but the border was never settled on. Texans said that the border was at the Rio Grande, but Mexico said, No, wrong river. (laughs) It's way further back than that. The United States annexed Texas into America while we still didn't have a clear boundary line of where that border was between the two countries. President James K. Polk proposed to purchase Alta California and Santa Fe de Nuevo Mexico, along with agreeing on the Rio Grande as the southern border of the United States. But Mexico said, no, that's not the border, and rejected President Polk's offer. So Polk, like any good U.S. president that is told no by another country, sent U.S. troops to his proposed border to secure it by force. Mexican and American forces clashed, which started the Mexican-American War. After two years of fighting, 
Mexico could no longer defend itself against the United States and signed the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo on February 2, 1848. This treaty formally established the Rio Grande as the U.S.-Mexican border and also gave the United States control of the land that would become California, Nevada, Utah, and parts of what is also now New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Wyoming. Mexico abolished slavery between 1829 and 1830, but when Texas claimed their independence from Mexico, they reestablished slavery and had 30,000 slaves in Texas by the time that it was annexed into the United States. So, because Mexico is a lot closer to the South than the northern free states or even Canada, slaves began to flee to Mexico. The United States then enacted the Fugitive Slave Act, which required captured slaves to be returned to their owners. This gave rise to slave catchers patrolling the border hoping to catch and return slaves for a reward. A little thing called the Texas Rangers were formed as a border patrol force to maintain the newly created border between America and Mexico, and they're responsible for returning many escaped slaves back to their owners and removing Native American populations from Texas. Even though things were getting pretty tense between Mexico and America, there weren't any laws stating who could and who couldn't enter the United States, or any rules for those that did enter the United States. Mexicans and Americans freely crossed the border between the two countries. This started to change when America passed the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. This act allowed only Chinese that were students, merchants, or diplomats to enter the United States. Chinese immigrants that didn't meet these standards started to enter the United States through Canada and Mexico. That's right, the first illegal aliens into the United States were the Chinese through Mexico. Still, Mexicans were freely able to come and go over the border without trouble. Porfirio Diaz was a general in the Mexican army and was elected as president in 1876. The next election was won by Emmanuel Gonzalez Flores in 1880, and then Diaz was re-elected to the presidency in 1884. Diaz ruled up until 1911. Diaz's time as president was known as Porfiriato. I told you that I can't do Spanish, so I really apologize. And this was marked by economic growth and stability in Mexico. In 1908, Diaz announced that he'd already been president for long enough and would not run for president again. But then he changed his mind and ran for president again. A wealthy landowner named Francisco Madero ran against Diaz in the election. Madero lost to Diaz, but the results were rigged in Diaz's favor, like any good election held under a dictator. This greatly upset many Mexican citizens and kicked off what is now known as the Mexican Revolution or the Mexican Civil War. Just because it was called a civil war does not mean that foreign powers didn't get involved. The United States couldn't ignore the turmoil to the south. The United States deployed troops to several border towns to make sure that the fighting between the rebel and federal forces in Mexico stayed in Mexico. 
Pancho Villa was a Mexican general that led rebel forces in the Civil War, and his battles would often spill into American soil. Pancho Villa led a raid for supplies on March 9, 1916, in Columbus, New Mexico. Villa's 500 men were defeated by the United States, 300 men that were stationed just outside of the town. Columbus, New Mexico was heavily damaged, though, and over a dozen American troops and civilians were killed during this raid. In response to the attack, President Woodrow Wilson sent General John J. Pershing to go into Mexico with over 5,000 men to take Pancho Villa dead or alive. Pancho Villa continued to lead raids on American border towns while Pershing searched for him. Pershing led his men into the town of Carrizal. So federal Mexican troops, not Pancho Villa, who led the rebel forces, attacked the American troops and then defeated them. This led to more tension, obviously, to a Mexican and American struggle along the border. This is about the time that World War I was starting to ramp up in Europe, and it was making President Woodrow Wilson nervous that America might soon have to join the fight. Wilson's General Pershing wasn't making any progress on capturing Pancho Villa, so Wilson ordered him and his troops to withdraw from Mexico. A telegram was soon intercepted by the British in 1917. In the telegram, the Germans requested that the Mexican government join them in World War I if the United States ever declared war on Germany. The Germans promised Mexico that they would return the southwestern United States and any other land that Mexico had lost to America. Mexico denied to join Germany, but the U.S. used this as a reason to declare war on Germany and to continue to brew resentment against Mexico. So America is still neutral in World War I, but it's becoming more and more apparent that we're going to join soon. And the thing about America is that when we join a war, we join a war. We get a little patriotic on steroids. We fly flags. We sing songs. We change names of food. This always made me laugh back in 2003 when the French wanted no part in helping us with our invasion of Iraq, so we decided to change the name of French fries and French toast to Freedom Fries and Freedom Toast. Well, this isn't the first time and probably won't be the last time that America has done this. During World War I, we changed the name of Frankfurters to Hot Dogs, Sauerkraut to Liberty Cabbage, we even changed the name of German Measles to Liberty Measles. Which, why would we change the name of German Measles? That's a bad thing. Why wouldn't we just keep them German Measles? <laughs> Along with the absurdity of changing names of food and diseases, America tends to also get very anti-immigrant and paranoid of foreigners while we're at war. So, due to the xenophobia of World War I, we enacted the Immigration Act of 1917. This act imposed new barriers to entry of the United States, including a literacy test, a head tax, and a prohibition against contract labor. Along with these new requirements, Mexicans were now required to present passports when crossing the border. Many Mexican nationals would cross the border daily to eat, shop, and visit. This was now much harder due to the mounting restrictions. Tom Leah Sr. was elected as mayor of El Paso in 1915. 
Leo touted himself as a progressive politician and promised to clean up El Paso. Well, back then, being a progressive meant getting rid of corrupt politicians, like the incumbent mayor, Charles Kelly, but it also meant cleaning up his Mexican supporters. Leo promised to demolish hundreds of germ-infested adobe homes and replace them with good, clean American brick buildings. Leah also passed the first laws against marijuana, which was popular among the Mexican revolutionaries at the time. Tom Leah was also a germaphobe and had a deep-rooted fear of typhus. Tom wore silk underwear because he believed that lice carrying typhus wouldn't be able to stick to the silk. Tom was convinced that Mexican nationals were bringing typhus-infested lice across the border and sent multiple letters and telegrams to Washington, D.C. officials asking for a full quarantine of Mexicans at the border. Tom's vision for the border was a quarantine camp that would hold all Mexicans crossing the border for at least two weeks to make sure that they were free of any typhus before making their way into the United States. A public health service official from Washington, D.C. visited El Paso, and he wrote back to the U.S. Surgeon General stating, quote, Mayor Leo wants an absolute quarantine against Mexico. When Mayor Leah gets excited, he always wires someone in Washington. The last time this occurred, he sent a message to the president. Typhus fever is not now, and probably never will be, a serious menace to our civilian population in the United States, unquote. The health official went on to explain that there was probably already plenty of typhus in the United States without Mexicans bringing it in, and that quarantine camps wouldn't make a difference. But before you get excited that this public health official was anti-xenophobia and was a reasonable, non-racist official, he also wrote to the Surgeon General that he was, quote, cheerfully willing to bathe and disinfect all the dirty, lousy people who are coming into this country from Mexico. The public official suggested delousing stations along the border, and stated that we should probably continue the work of killing lice and the effects of immigration at the Mexican border for many years to come, certainly not less than 10 years and probably 25 years or more. A fumigation facility was approved to be built at the foot of the Santa Fe Bridge, which connected Juarez and El Paso, where many border crosses used the trolley service to move between the countries daily. Mexican nationals wishing to cross into America would have to take off all their clothes, which would then be taken to be washed. While waiting for their clothes, Mexican citizens would have to stand butt naked and be inspected by federal officials. Kind of like an even more nightmare situation of the TSA. They were then doused in a mixture of gasoline, insecticide, and other toxic chemicals. After this so-called bath, they were given a card to present at the border that stated they had been bathed and could be permitted access to America. Mexican nationals that worked in America had to go through this bathing process every day. The process was degrading, humiliating, and had both short and long-term health effects. A group of inmates died in an El Paso jail when a fire ignited the gasoline on their bodies and they burned alive. The federal agents inspecting the bathers would take photographs of the women while they were nude and then post those pictures in a local cantina. On January 28, 
1917, 17-year-old Carmelita Torres was on the trolley taking her from Juarez into El Paso over the Santa Fe Bridge so that she could go to her job as a maid. A trolley operator ordered the riders to step off the trolley and enter into the bathhouse for fumigation. Carmelita had had enough. She wasn't going to take any more of these toxic baths. Carmelita refused to go into the bathhouse and began to beg other women to not go in either. Almost immediately, 30 women joined Carmelita to protest the baths and yell insults at the fumigation officials. Soon, over 200 women joined Carmelita, and they were blocking traffic into El Paso. By noon, the number was several thousand, and it was mostly women. You know what the men were doing? They were standing on the side, the side of the road, going, Good job, ladies! (laughs) Keep it up! But actually, I think it almost worked out better that men didn't join, because, especially back then, people were like, You can't do anything to them. They're women. But so, the group of protesters starts walking towards the bathhouse and is calling out to other Mexicans that were still in line to take baths to stop letting themselves be humiliated by this process. Both immigration and public health officers tried to scatter the growing crowd of protesters, but then the women started to throw bottles and rocks. The protesters then laid down on the tracks of the trolleys to keep the trolley cars from moving. So once all the trolleys were unable to move, some of the women went to the trolley operators and grabbed the trolley controllers out of their hands. And any trolley operator that tried to resist or run away, they held him down and beat the crap out of him. General Francisco Marvilla was called in to calm down the female protesters. He brought his cavalrymen, known as El Squadron de la Muerte, or his death troops. Their insignia was a skull and crossbones, which was pretty intense in 1917. When they arrived at the riot, they drew their sabers and pointed them at the women. You know what the women did? They said, you guys suck. I don't know. They they said something bad. And I'm trying to keep this PG enough so that teachers, when they're having a rough day, they can just put this on close their eyes. So the women are yelling and cursing at the soldiers. Some yelled, Viva Villa! and threw rocks and bottles at the soldiers, cutting some of the soldiers' faces and injuring them. Eventually, the mounted soldiers on both sides of the border worked to break up the crowd by that afternoon. The next day, the rioting started again, this time by the men. But this didn't last long, and the Juarez police chief ordered all of these protesters to be arrested, and the Mexican cavalry soon dispersed this crowd. By January 30th, two days later, the riots were no more, and both the bridge and the border were back open. El Paso agreed to allow Mexico to have their own fumigation center, and America would accept certificates from border crosses that had been bathed in Mexico. Unfortunately, that's the only progress that the bath riots were able to make. We don't know what happened to Carmelita Torres. It would be 40 years until the sterilizing baths on the border would stop. Beginning in the 1920s, officials at the Santa Fe Bridge Fumigation Center started to use a cyanide-based pesticide named Cyclone B. 
Because they're using a pesticide gas now instead of a gasoline liquid mixture to fumigate the border crossers, they changed the name of the fumigation center from bathhouse to gas chamber. A 1938 German scientific journal praised El Paso for fumigating Mexican immigrants with Cyclone B and adopted this process at their own border crossings. Soon the Germans began to use this process at their concentration camps to not only de-louse prisoners, but as the preferred method of murdering millions of humans during the Holocaust. The United States established the Border Patrol in 1924 to police both Mexican and Asian immigrants, as well as bootleggers during the Prohibition. Ninety-five years after creating the Border Patrol, it is now a federally armed force with an annual budget of $4 billion. The Border Patrol also employs around 20,000 agents. If you would like to know more about this story, David Dorado Romo wrote a great book titled Ringside Seat to a Revolution, an Underground Cultural History of El Paso and Juarez, 1893-1923 where he details how his great-aunt actually lived through these baths at the border. My other sources were NPR's article titled The Bath Riots, Indignity Along the Mexican Border, and History Channel's article The Violent History of the U.S.-Mexico Border, which can be found on their website. If you would like to support this podcast, please visit patreon.com and search for America the Bazaar. There are some fun rewards for supporting America the Bazaar, including bonus episodes, prizes, and a super exclusive Facebook group where we discuss all things weird history. Please subscribe and rate America the Bazaar on iTunes so more people can discover us. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, stay weird, America.